The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. All right, we're looking at Matthew chapter 17 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the pews, and if you don't uh, have a Bible to take home with you, take that with you, and uh, we'll consider that our gift from the church. We've been looking at the life of Peter and how Jesus makes a disciple, and this particular passage we're going to look at this morning actually wasn't one of the ones that I had, when I went through and was looking at Jesus' encounters with Peter, I didn't put this one in there. But this one has really just worked on me and to the point where I'm like, I've got to add this in. And it's just a, three verses and a, a little obscure story that's only in the Gospel of Matthew. And I think Matthew, being a <clears throat> tax collector, picks up this story about the temple tax that none of the other accounts pick up. And I just would ask you this morning, do you ever wonder if Jesus knows what he's doing? And of course you know the theological answer that you're supposed to say. You know, we have the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which says, you know, what are God's works of providence? And his works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. We, we know the right theological answer, but sometimes down at the, the heart level, at the gut level, we often wonder, why would God allow this to happen? We have providential hiccups, providential delays, providential disasters, health scares, diseases, cancer, long-term disabilities, and all kinds of myriads of providential disappointments. And so many things don't go as planned, or at least not according to my plan. And what might this little obscure text in the Gospel of Matthew have to do with unlocking truths as to who Jesus is that would allow our hearts to find the key to rest, trusting that he's in charge and that he loves me and is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So let's look at this, this passage together. Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, Take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give that to them for me and for yourself. Let's pray. Father, illumine your word now, we ask, by the power of your spirit, that you would speak to each one of us here, and that we would be different because of it. May your word accomplish its very purposes in our hearts and lives to give life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The text presents us with a problem. The problem is addressed in the form of a question. Jesus' answer to the problem in the question is three questions. 
followed by one cast with one hook that will catch one fish and will have one, one uh, coin and we're all good to go. So let's start with the question in verse 24. If you recall, Jesus has been with his disciples and he's been outside the region of Galilee. So he was beyond a Jewish area. He was up north in Caesarea Philippi in a very much a Gentile region. And Peter had answered the question when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives the correct answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And then last week we looked at this amazing story of the transfiguration account and we're not really sure where, what mountain they were on when Jesus was praying and Jesus was transfigured before them. But once again, it was outside of Capernaum. Capernaum is just this little fishing town right at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew himself being a tax collector, becoming one of the disciples, you know, he picks up on this account of the two drachma tax. Now, What's interesting here is that um, when you think of taxes, what do you think of when you think of taxes? You instantly would think of government. The government must be imposing this tax. Well, actually, in this text here, it's not at all the government that it's imposing the tax. This half-shekel tax, um, this was a... Jewish tax that was for the temple and maintaining the temple. And so what's interesting here is the question gets asked to Peter, and we're not sure why Peter gets singled out, probably not to embarrass Jesus. And most people know that Peter is, must be the head of the disciples. And so they go to him, and they're out on, you know, somewhere on the streets, and they say, doesn't your teacher pay the tax? Now, this uh, temple tax was a month basically a month or a month and a half before Passover, what would happen is is the um, uh, authorities for the temple tax, they would go to different stations, a couple different regions around the area, and they would collect the tax ahead of time so that when the people came for Passover, they probably created like an HOV lane so you could kind of get in quicker into the temple. And so they went out and they, and they had these different stations set up and obviously one of the places must have been Capernaum. And this was, this temple tax goes all the way back to Exodus uh, chapter 30 and you can go back and look at verses 11 to 16 and this is where we get the idea of a flat tax. It says, the, the rich weren't to pay more and the poor were not to pay less, but it was a shekel, half a shekel was what was to be paid. And back then it was a census tax. And so this was to keep the temple in operation, to pay for the priest and to pay for all of the, uh, to keep things, you know, you say keep the lights on, they didn't have lights back then, but to keep all the operations running in the temple, it required a tax. And so, Jesus is now coming back to the region of which he's been away from, and they're wondering, does he pay the tax or not? And so Peter says yes. We're not really sure why he says yes, because we're not told why. And so he comes into the house, and before he can even say anything to Jesus about what has happened, Matthew wants us to to know that Jesus already knows that there's been a conversation. 
And so it says when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. And he asked him three questions. What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. And so he already is revealing to us that Jesus knows all things. And certainly in this passage, one of the things that will jump out to us is the foreknowledge of Jesus and that he knows all things. It's kind of like when Nathaniel first came to Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nathaniel? I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's blown away like, and you always wonder, what was Nathaniel doing under the, Nathaniel, do you know what he was doing under the fig tree? We, we don't know what he was doing under the fig tree, but he must have been praying probably. And, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows all things. He already knows about this conversation. It wasn't that he'd looked out the window and saw. He knew that this conversation had taken place. And not only does he know about that, does he know about every single fish in the Sea of Galilee? Does he know every single fish in the Sea of Galilee? And does he know which fish in the Sea of Galilee have a coin in their mouth? And does he know exactly which one will be, with the very first cast of a hook, which exact fish will be sovereignly orchestrated to go into that hook that has no bait on it and will be drawn up and will have, it will be a four drachma coin, a special coin that will pay the tax for two is Jesus have foreknowledge about that? What might that say about all the little myriad of details in your life that you think Jesus just doesn't know what's going on? This is just too big for him. Surprise. Jesus knows everything. And he doesn't just know everything. There's more here to this text than just Jesus' knowledge. There's the idea that in, there's a Christology in this passage that's amazing. And Christology is just the, the study of Christ, of who he is. Who is Jesus? Because Jesus asks a question here. He says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? You know, we, we would get this if we lived over in England because for years and years, did the queen of England pay tax? Nada. But more recently, they, you know, she realized this would be good PR for her to pay some taxes. And so the prime minister asked her to voluntarily pay some taxes so that it would look better with the people. But before that, whenever someone is the king or queen, they don't pay taxes. They're collecting the taxes because they're the recipients of that. And certainly their children don't pay taxes. If your mom and pop own a restaurant and mom and pop make the food for the people in the restaurant, do you give a bill to the children and say, here's what you owe for supper? What do you think, kids? Would you get to eat for free if your parents owned the restaurant? Absolutely. Often the workers get to eat for free. At least when I worked in the restaurant business, even the employees would usually get a little lunch meal on the side. Sometimes they charge you a slight little fee, but usually you can get free food if you work at a restaurant. Well, if you're the children of people that own a restaurant, you would get to eat for free. Well, here the royal family, Jesus is reminding Peter, if the king is, is imposing and levying a tax, do the sons have to pay? And of course the answer is no. And so we need to remember what Jesus is getting at here. 
is you remember that Jesus says about the very temple that it's my father's house. He called it that a few times. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, referring to the temple. And when his parents came looking for him when he was 12 years old and they had gotten uh, separated from one another for a few days and the parents were very much alarmed and worried when they had to return to Jerusalem after the feast and they come to Jesus in Luke 2.49 and Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So the temple is my father's house and the taxes are not collected from their children. Jesus is saying what? I am the son of God. I am exempt from this tax. Don't miss that. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence in the, and our boasting and our hope. So this raises an important question for us. Since Jesus is God's son, and Jesus says someone greater than the temple is here, referring to himself, why does Jesus pay the temple tax here if the sons of kings are exempt and the son of God is exempt from paying the tax in his father's house? What, why is he paying the tax? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. And it's an important answer for the followers of Christ as well. That's us. Jesus says in verse 27, However, not to give offense to them, the people collecting the tax. Jesus doesn't want to be a stumbling block, a scandal on. He doesn't want his ministry to get sidetracked or derailed over something minor, you see. And Jesus is on guard against, he, he's picking and choosing his battles. Now what's interesting here is we know what happens a month and a half later. What happens when Jesus comes into Jerusalem a month and a half later and he comes into the temple and he sees the money changers and all they're collecting, what does Jesus do? I mean, there's times where Jesus does give offense and he is a stumbling block and he rightly upset a lot of people. But Jesus had the wisdom to know when it was time to make a big deal about something and when it wasn't. And when the issue of the people of God couldn't worship and the Gentiles were being kept out of the courts because of, of all of the exchange. And see, what happened here is that there was a... the in, and I'm not sure exactly how this worked, but when they went out and collected the tax, I'm wondering if they didn't have to pay the exchange rate that they had to pay in the temple. Because in the temple, if you went into the temple, you could only use the Tyrian coinage, okay? Because the silver in the, in the coins in the temple were 94% better silver. And these drachma coins were only 80% silver. And so they were a little snobby in, in the temple. And so the only way you could, if you brought one of these coins, ah, we've got a little convenient thing here. We've got a little exchange rate going on. And we have to exchange your coinage with a little fee. And so it created this big traffic jam in the temple. 
And we're told that this was in the Gentile courts and people couldn't even get into worship. And when Jesus got upset and he turned all the tables over and he cast out the money changers, what happened? It says that the blind and the lame came to Jesus and they were able to get to him. But in all that traffic and commotion, they couldn't. So Jesus knew when to lay his cards down, when to fight for his rights of his father's house. And when worship was at stake, Jesus went to battle. But when it came to an issue of, of, of sidetrack, and, and, and sometimes I think as Christians, we're so busy fighting for our rights that people are tuning us out and they're not listening to us. Jesus knew the wisdom of when to just pay the tax, pay the tax. I've heard Christians argue sometimes about, um, you know, we shouldn't pay taxes as Christians. You ever heard this argument before? Because our taxes go to, go to Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood goes to pay for abortions. And therefore, since my tax dollars are going for abortion, therefore, as a Christian, I can ethically get around not paying my tax. I'm like, really? Jesus said what? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Was Caesar a virtuous man of impeccable virtue? I I don't think so. What was the taxes going to in Jesus' day? They weren't all great things. You just give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And we are told to, to owe no debt to nobody and that we are under government authorities because they are ordained by God. And so we pay it. And ultimately, what, I think what Jesus was getting at, and Matthew puts this in here for us, is that in 70 AD, the temple gets destroyed. And the Romans took the temple tax and they imposed it on the Jews to keep giving that temple tax. And now it went for this other pagan god of Jupiter. And so I think Matthew is writing this to say, look, Christians, just pay it. Pay the tax. Don't make a big deal about this. It's not that much of a tax. And so back to the story here is that Jesus is just going to pay it. But how is he going to pay it? When Jesus, you know, as, as, you know, he's got no pillow for his head. He's supported by other people. Well, Jesus has a piggy bank. What is Jesus' piggy bank in this text? His piggy bank is a fish. He knows all the fish in the Sea of Galilee. He knows which one's got a coin in them. And he's going to use the fish here as his little cash uh, piggy bank. And so we're reminded from this text that Jesus cares about the little things. Does Jesus not say, are two sparrows, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And as somebody reminded me in our inquirers class, that number is always changing, even daily. And God always knows how many hairs are on your head. That's pretty amazing. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows all the fish. He knows which one. And you think about how Jesus is making a disciple of Peter. What was Peter good at? He was a fisherman. Can you imagine? I mean, how many times have you guys caught something with no bait on it? Has anybody ever done that in this room? I, I have. I mean, you can get lucky every once in a while. You see it and you yank real quick and you can, or just somehow you snag a fish and you can catch. But now, have you ever predicted that you were going to do it 
predict that you're going to do it in the first cast, and predict the coinage that's going to be in the fish's mouth. I mean, all of these things to Peter testify to what? Peter thinks, I know fish, I know the Sea of Galilee. It's all affirming that when, G- when Peter was denying Jesus and he denied him three times and the third time Jesus comes to him and says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And the last time, what does Peter say? Lord, you know all things. You know all things, Lord. Of course, you know that I love you. Peter knew because of experiences like this that Peter alone goes down to that sea and he takes his fishing and he and imagine he throws that hook and he's probably thinking, is this for real? And he pulls it up and sure enough, he opens that fish's mouth and there it is. There's our tax. Well, what is our response this morning in seeing God's goodness over all things that he is the son of God he's over the temple and yet he voluntarily paid the temple tax well the response of Isaiah in Isaiah 49 he's, he says sing for joy O heavens and exult O, o earth break forth O mountains into singing for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted But Zion, the people of God said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. You know what God says to that? Maybe you're there this morning. You think maybe the Lord has forgotten you. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forgive you. Forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. You see, Jesus didn't just voluntarily pay the temple tax. When he said, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands, his very hands were nailed to the cross, where Jesus paid a lot more than taxes. He voluntarily paid for my sins, which were deserving of hell and death. He lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. And so now we come to his table in communion. And we're told, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in the richest affair. Come to the table. Let's pray. Lord, you know all things. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us all things in Christ. We thank you that you knew our sin and you knew it was bad and you knew that our sins were great and that there are many and you went to a cross and took our very sin and we thank you that you silenced the enemy of the devil and you satisfied the wrath of God and you accomplished our salvation and that it is finished, paid in full. We thank you that we are free And now we too, like Peter, are sons of God by adoption. And that we too have our freedom to come. And so, Lord, we come to your table with joy and gladness. Help us to remember what you have done. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.